So welcome to another episode of the Feature Podcast. And as you can tell, today I don't have to wear these crazy headphones. Uh, we got mic'd up here and uh, we have Brandon, our co-host, as well as Alex, my business partner from Dangerfield. And today we're going to talk about kind of Dangerfield, how it started, what we're planning to do, and also a bit about the process of buying into an existing company and kind of the the work, uh, how, it, how the whole workflow works out in a partnership that is owned by two people. So, Alex, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, and um, Brandon will lead the conversation. Brandon's going to be the MC. Nice. I got you. I got to keep space between you boys. <laughs> That's the idea. I don't know. You're the ones in matching hoodies. That's true. <laughs> lead us off, Alex. Who yes. are you? Who am I? Um, my name's Alex, and I'm the one who founded Dangerfield. Probably, probably about the time I moved in the house across the street, yeah. which I don't live in anymore. So it's funny that we've we've made it all the way back here. Did you guys know each other before? Yeah, a little bit through yeah. Trevor. I also drove you home from university a few times because even oh, yeah, though you right. like 900 meters away, yeah, I still drove that. to school every day and he would cross the road and be like, yo, give me a ride. Um, <laughs> I, I, I completely forgot about that. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's nice of you. Yeah, that was nice of you. It was, it was a lot better on your Beamer than it was taking the bus. <laughs> cool. So you're... Um, you you got in the Beamer instead of the bus. You uh, how did Dangerfield come to be? Uh, you you were probably I think I knew you kind of around that time that I was just making jackets for myself. Yeah, those um the long overcoat the, jackets. The first one was, was like the bombers though. I feel like the you mm. I might have met you like outside Four Horsemen. Where like the, I was wearing one yeah, of the first ones. It was like a Four Horsemen. It was Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen yeah. event. I was we were outside that. I think it was the first time we'd met. And you were just just getting into Instagram. Mm. Get, get into I was just Instagram. trying to get some free clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it worked. Yeah, it definitely worked. <laughs> yeah. He's wearing one right now. Years later, he still gets the first edition. Um, so that was like back in 2011. So clothing was like the big focus. Uh, the bombers, the overcoats, and we still do a lot of those today. But it's definitely evolved over the years. Uh, what's been your inspiration behind like the design and the philosophy of the brand and and over the past nine years, how has it kind of progressed within that? Well, we started making a lot of those bombers. Um, I mean, trying to trying to bridge a gap kind of between like menswear and I don't know if you want to call it streetwear, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we, it was it was definitely back then. I'm sure you guys remember that what was kind of a, a lot missing in between those those two realms. Um, so. It was the goal was to try and make some of those pieces of like maybe not a luxury brand, but stuff stuff kind of with that uh, design, that tailoring, but had a bit of a lower price point. So, you know, you're getting getting something on the level of like uh, a luxury brand that might be a few thousand dollars, but it's it's kind of in the five six hundred dollar range. Similar material made in BC yeah. uh, in yeah. Canada. Yeah, and we were we were still making everything in, in Canada, which was back then like our main selling point. So trying to get into into all these new shops, all these all these retailers, that that was definitely a key a key selling point. Yeah, yeah sure. I found like you really blended contemporary well. And mm-hmm. when we first met, uh, that first shoot. And I'd love to put some pictures right here. Whereabouts on the screen are we doing? Pictures? Uh, right, we're gonna cover me with that. All right, 
So right here, <laughs> we'll throw the pictures. Brandon and his bleached hair in the garage. It, this yeah. was actually before that. We really? did a we're, we did a our first shoot where Alex is like, "Hey, I want I got Linus taking some photos." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we had a girl there as well, Taylor. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that was when um like Matt and I were just getting started, and you had the overcoats. You kind of had the design together. You know what you wanted to do as far as like the vision for the brand, and then eventually it got to the garage which was right across from justin's house yeah for sure so for a while it was kind of like a it was like a project that eventually um, evolved into retailers and everything and um, obviously the online mm -hmm. side instagram and being known as like the local brand in uh in victoria that does menswear and uh sometime last year i think um i think i just like hit you up out of nowhere right i mean well yeah i mean we'd known each other since since yeah. we lived here so um we, I think we on and off we kind of talk and you check in on Dangerfield and I check in on YouTube and um, yeah when we we finally met up in person you kind of brought up the idea of of coming on board and seeing what you could bring to the table and um, yeah I mean it, at the time and st still I I I, uh, I definitely thought and th you know think it was a good idea because um, you brought a lot of th you know over the however many years I've been running it, there's been a handful of people who've wanted to either partner with me or We still get start, DMs right now yeah. about uh, mm -hmm. either for free stuff or to buy part of the brand. Yeah, not just, <laughs> not just free stuff, but like people who have wanted to partner in the brand and, you know, no one's, yeah. ever, no one's ever really brought something new to the table. Um, and you, it's not necessarily just your current audience, but it's, you know, it's a lot of business and marketing savvy that, you know, I haven't um really perfected or you know anything close to yet um so yeah for, for me it was kind of a perfect partnership to have someone who's especially in that online realm who knows who knows a lot about putting a putting a product forward on on that platform yeah it's definitely um it's been a learning experience and like the whole it's my first tangible good industry and in, in the past we've been doing marketing of trying to sell or discussing products that are of the space of technology and sometimes lifestyle and trying to get consumers uh, advise consumers on it and hopefully end up purchasing it. So uh, it was definitely an area that I've always wanted to try out. I mean, I like clothing. I like retail. You could argue that I, that I don't exactly dress um, towards the, the premium side of the brand. Uh, but obviously the essentials line has been something that we've tried to bring out high quality hoodies that are, that are um, embroidered and also the leather goods, the packaging experience, and just trying to, kind of give a new audience to a company as well as encouraging the millennial generation and even a little bit older to appreciate premium fashion mm -hmm. that is made in BC and, um, and high quality goods that can be used on an everyday basis or worn. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, it's still, it's still trying to maintain the same ethos that we started yeah. with, but it's just, it's, you know, branching out into products that still maintain that level of integrity, but it's it's just a different it's a different space right like it's yeah it's it's all the same uh vision behind whatever product we're, we're putting forward but you know it's it's not necessarily one type or one specific demographic it's it's just that type of product and whoever buys it buys it so well would you guys both work in creative fields of your own niche how have you found ways to collaborate on the brand 
I think like both of us uh, have been singularly operating our companies for the majority of the time that has existed. Um, in my case, it was like having to do every single thing. And in your case, it was having to manage mm-hmm. the business side, the retailers, designs and mm-hmm. distributors. And I think at some point it feels like um, you're not able to narrow down or focus on an area that you feel like only you could do. And you kind of have to build that partnership or bring in staff members that are able to complement a different area. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest thing where Alex uh, liked doing the designs and everything. I like doing the business side, even though I have to film all these YouTube videos, but I've always liked doing the, the business side, the visuals and um, putting that together. So in that case, we've always had like discussions of like creative direction. There's definitely been some hiccups here and there about what, what looks that we enjoy, but I think that's all part of it. And, um, and also like involving into the business, how to grow it towards the future, the marketing strategies, taking a look at the data and the whole social media world. Um, what was like the biggest change uh, that you that you experienced from working in a partnership and, and kind of switching it over from from having to manage every single thing for the first eight years? I mean, I mean, to be honest, it it really wasn't that big of a change, which I think is a, is a testament to to Justin. Um, <laughs> you know, consider like I I think we're both pretty um, opinionated people, considering yeah, a little bit know, stubborn. Yeah. Used to doing things Same wrong ways. Yeah. <laughs> but like considering that's our type of personality and we still manage to get along and we I would say we on a majority of things we agree, especially in, in terms of the creative side. You know, I think it just it kinda goes to show that, you know, Justin you know, was the right choice for someone to partner with. Considering it's I mean, how many months has it been close to it's eight, been yeah eight about eight months. months um no major fights yet a yeah, couple I mean, hiccups here and there which is which is normal but i think uh, we're both we're both at the age where like we're not kids anymore we can have a reasonable discussion and break down the logics yeah. of the business side and kind of reason with things so i think that's been that's been where we've kind of we've yeah been, and, and oftentimes i find like once i've you know if there is anything i you know might not agree with once i've thought about it overnight you know j- it's it, it sometimes is hard to admit when you're wrong. Um, not necessarily that you're always right, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of have to, not just when you're working in a partnership, when you're running any kind of business, like a compromise is definitely a skill you need to, to learn quickly. It's like a mix between intuition and data, like where you take a look at yeah, the, yeah. the data that comes out of the clicks, the demographic yeah. that you're working with, the sales conversions, and also mixing it with what you believe in and, and going the direction. I think that's the cool part about business. There's a lot of variables depending on what, like even between products and, and demographics or types of videos, we're, we're seeing different types of information. And even though mm-hmm. our sales are not anything crazy yet, uh, I feel like the feedback of the company has been has been pretty good, and um, obviously the focusing the focus of the last eight months, even though it did take a little bit longer <clears> than we may have expected, with like the delays and stuff, the packaging, and and looking at like different samples and ensuring that we have the best possible product, uh, and now the the process of selling it. I think something like the packaging and the customer experience is something that we've mm-hmm. been able to collaborate on and um, and improve within the products that we were already selling and feel like can provide a lot of value. Yeah, like this this is a good example of something that Justin brought forward where, you know <laughs> We I, did have a bit I, of a I don't know if we should say exactly how much we spent on packaging and, you know, for someone who never really Just describe it for someone who's listening on audio. Describe this. <laughs> Textured boxes that look like an Oreo layered finish and um has no, embossing and uh no, 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 no. let me describe it. It's here we go. It, 
Are you allowed to? Oreo. Are you allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yes. It's the nicest fucking box <laughs> you'll ever buy. What would you compare it to? Apple. Um, mm. Apple's got its own thing going on, but in terms of like designer brands, I don't really want to target any specific brand, but I think it does go within. In terms the realm. of designer brands, that is that is a lot mm-hmm. nicer than anything you'll. We you'll almost get. went for corrugated though. But I think what we notice is that in North America, these these boxes are so expensive in that if yeah. you take a look at the other options out there and you're really able to customize it, the sizing, the samples, like there are so many things you're able to customize and the quality and the craft ends up way better than what we were originally going to go with that could have costed more money. Um, the biggest issue is minimum quantities and the number yeah. of boxes that we have <laughs> at the moment in different sizes. but. I think the packaging coming from the tech industry and in the product industry, I mean, when I first started YouTube, it was all about unboxing stuff and experiencing mm-hmm. tech as a consumer. And you see Unbox Therapy's done so well. And before his channel was like just opening stuff and bringing the experience to people who are either thinking of buying the product or haven't bought it yet. And I think something like this, uh, the way you deliver the product is extremely important. Obviously, the customer service and, and everything goes along with that. But I think the visual experience does really elevate it. I think that's why we've been very picky about that and it's taken a little bit longer than mm-hmm. we would have liked, but yeah, the end result uh, was was good and I definitely encourage anybody who's listening to the podcast to check out what these boxes look like. Well, Justin, when you joined Dangerfield, what were some immediate things that stood out right away that from your experience in media was important that you needed to address with Dangerfield? That, that was probably the first thing, one of them. Was the, was the yeah, packaging? Yeah, no, I think like, yeah. well, the reason why I was interested is because I've always wanted to be in the fashion field and I also didn't want it to be associated with my brand name. I wanted it to be its own thing. I feel like you're kind of capping the potential of it unless you're mm-hmm. you're massive on YouTube. I think in the tech industry, I've been asked to do merchandise in the past and it just I, wasn't something I considered. You, yeah, and I think you had mentioned like the, the handful of YouTubers that have their own like quote brand. I mean, they're doing well, but in this case, it was a it was a scenario of um, wanting to, to have something that is separate yeah. from it. Yeah, I mean, selling merch and, you know, having a, your own brand are two very different things. And I yeah, think for sure. there's a, you know, a wild difference between a YouTuber who's just, you know, slapping their name you know, not to offend anyone, but like if you're just going to slap your name on some gilded <laughs> hoodies, mm. that's fine. But it's it's not it's not not There's anything. No, yeah. yeah, it's not anything like what you 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 and I are doing, or you specifically as as a YouTuber. Yeah, it's definitely it was definitely a risk. A lot of times, yeah. putting a name on the brand is the easiest thing to do. I think what really stood out to me is. Um, it was my first company that I've that I bought into. It, it has it has to have the backbone. It has to have the style. It has to have the the kind of general backbone. Otherwise, it would just make sense to start my own brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it had the backbone. It had its suppliers. The product was good. It was made in BC. Um, but when you buy into a company, there's a few ways to do it. You can either be a a silent investor, an angel investor, you contribute funds and, and everything. And it's just in order to increase the number of resources, um, or you could be an active investor where you purchase in half the company and we end up splitting the workload and, um, and collaborating with that. Uh, and I feel like that was what I, I do like to be involved in a lot of things. Uh, it does take a lot of time and, and, um, obviously YouTube's already pretty busy, but it's a project that allows you to I mean, distance from the whole, like doing the same thing every single day and contribute more creatively. And a lot of ways it could be more effective than, than when I'm doing something in the space that I've already been very familiar with. And a lot of times you're stuck with the same way of thinking. Um, but with this, I'm, I was able to come in and, uh, give my ideas from like an outsider's perspective, like a lot of times very blunt ideas, uh, and opinions towards it. And, 
Yeah, I think the backbone was there. I like the fact that it had the high-end field. I didn't want to just make like Gildan hoodies, but at the same time, I wanted to expand to like a lifestyle line of products that were not just clothing, but more accessible, high-quality daily wear kind of things. And these are the hoodies that we're wearing right now. The cotton, the cut, everything is to spec. And um, yeah, it's a being able to do, I think we, we discuss a lot about the different waves of uh, design that we wanted to do, uh, mm. where we have the main lineup on the fall, winter and the spring, <laughs> summer. It's a little bit more premium, lower volumes, higher price point, handmade mm. in BC to order or individually. Um, and the lifestyle line where we have different drops, different designs of logos and collections that maybe even collaborations down the road that people can uh, can just enjoy and wear on a on an everyday basis. So I think that was what I wanted to do with the YouTube audience. I think the, the kind of lifestyle mix with a clothing brand that is anchored by a premium lineup of overcoats and bombers was just really cool to me. And I've seen the progression of the company over the years, uh, the photo shoots and and everything. And yeah, it would, it would have going into the fashion industry on my own would have been very time consuming and probably wouldn't have worked out just because you can't just go into it and not knowing anything about like designs and how this uh retailer to creator well what have you learned from alex from joining the business that you didn't know about fashion before or owning a clothing company that uh in the in the tangible goods industry there's just a lot of things going on and a lot of times it's very expensive you have to put a lot of upfront costs Uh, coming from marketing there are no upfront costs aside from like equipment you just uh you buy your camera, you sell a slot, and you record the video. Whereas in this case, there's a lot of pre-planning. There's communications with the distributors, and a lot of times there's like variables of whether or not they're going to order, or whether we're ordering too many of something, and um, having to put money forward to predict our yeah. our inventory status is uh, is definitely it's definitely tough, and there's risk to it uh, that I wasn't used to before. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a cool. That was an area that I that I figured out right away was was evident and um and even now we're trying to figure out what the best way to strategize each lineup is not over creating uh and how to pick what's in season and what's in style right now but yeah the the premium line is something that alex has focused a lot on and um in my case it's the it's like the hoodies and essential essential stuff um for the daily wear but well, well for someone listening to this it's more into like the business marketing side of it like how do you stop yourself from going almost like over creating and over perfecting a product yeah i think um what we i don't know if you can really over perfect a product i mean the the last thing you want to do is put out a product before it's perfected yeah which is definitely something i learned meeting schedules is also something that i learned yeah (laughs) how like yeah i mean the the logistics behind you know you know an idea to a finished product is selling that product is just exponentially more when it's a tangible good if you're on time then you're late kind of thing yeah. Like next yeah, thing you, you know, there's be, one delay here. You, you and, just need to be working so far ahead. Yeah. And you know, if, if one thing goes wrong, it's just a, it's just a snowball effect. Yeah. Right? And boxes and, aren't here. We're not ready to send this out kind of yeah. thing. And it's kind of a shame not to send it with the boxes. Corona mm-hmm. was a factor in that. Yeah. I mean, and the whole pandemic kind of threw a, threw a spanner in the yeah. works. Surprisingly <laughs> it bounced back. It bounced back pretty quick from the, from the production, but uh, yeah, obviously the, the retail strategy is something that has been a bit sidelined, but, uh, I think, 
yeah, having we were talking about how like Ronnie and how many collabs he's done. Like every other week, mm-hmm. he's got a new collab with a restaurant, a Coca Cola, and all that, and how that was likely planned out a long time in advance. Yeah, and it's ready yeah. to go because even us, we're trying to do the spring summer. Once the samples here, and there's like a little bit of a delay of one to two weeks. Next thing you're behind like three to four weeks on the season, and um, by the time the inventory comes, the stores are hit hard by by COVID. It's like trying to navigate a, a cash flow industry. It's like the restaurants too; they rely heavily on cash flow. Um, Whereas in our case, we've at least had a little bit of uh, yeah. capital to work with. Uh, from- I mean, the the nice thing about about Ronnie and doing Keith is that like he's he's kind of carved this this own space for himself, where it's like he doesn't really rely on any kind of calendar. Yeah, he's got to yeah. work with all these logistics, but you know, he, he has kind of a unique brand that he does all these collabs that don't really they don't necessarily have to be on a certain schedule. So yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to kind of... Taste. Collaborations are always yeah. really fun. I mean, we're not going to be working with Coca-Cola or anything anytime <laughs> soon. But yeah, I think uh, we've looked at a lot of brands as like inspiration as to how they do things and the style behind it. And uh, figuring out a direction and sticking to it is always the toughest thing. I usually like to jump around on a lot of ideas and, and things, but yeah. Do you give yourselves timelines for a certain... Like if we don't have an idea by X, then we move on. Or do you do you have any sort of timeline and what uh, you guys are doing now? Yeah, we have a, a kind of a rough one now. I mean, think a lot of things have been thrown off schedule because of yeah. Corona. I mean, in terms of all, all the wholesales, uh, wholesaler sailors that are you know, not sure if they're going to open up again after after this, or yeah. you know, that's that's taken. Some of them had toll. robberies as well, where yeah, they lost I mean, some money from that before, and on top of that, there's COVID, and in that case, they're. They want you to like compromise and discuss like new rates and stuff. But as a as a business, where a lot of times our margins are not very high yet at the yeah, volumes. It's, yeah. How would wholesalers uh, affect someone generally in the clothing business? Well, I mean, up until I don't know how many years ago when like online sales started to take off, like retailers, you know, they ran the market. So you know, everything was about you know the two trade shows a year where you have spring, summer, and fall, winter. It's just so, isn't happening for a long time. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so so now it, it's it's tough because there's a lot of brands and retailers who, you know, don't know what's going to happen after this, if they have to pivot into something else. You know, should we be focusing all of our attention on online and, you know, have yeah. a backup? Like, it's, it's kind of hard, especially for retailers that have, you know, you've supported them and they've supported you for the last eight years or whatever. Um, it's it's kind of hard to prioritize your needs first, so it, it, we're definitely in kind of a difficult position right now where it's 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 hard to say no to some of them. Yeah. Um, in terms of like what they need in, for food right. delivery. But, if you were to focus all of your attention online, let's say the the wholesalers in store. Mm-hmm trying something on was extinguished and it was all online sales how would you go all in online i mean it's it's more just a a question of of uh timing i guess because when you're working with the retail calendar you're selling things for september october you're selling you're selling those in january february which means yeah. you need to be working on those. You have to put the money forward to put together the inventory, and you, you're basically working over twelve months yeah. before. So as soon as one season launches, the next one has to be ready to so, go. So when you're basically getting rid of that completely, which I don't think we're going to do, but um, 
when you're getting rid of that, it it takes a whole lot of stress, you know, off off these timelines, and it it opens up a lot of creativity in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, what you're going to make this coming month or this next six months, yeah. as opposed to basically a year and a half. If you're coming up with ideas, you need to have those ready, you know, before the trade show, which means you need to be working on those, you know, coming up with those ideas a year and a half before. Wow. And like, you know, when you're not a massive brand and you don't have a massive budget and you don't have a massive cash flow, which, you know, we all know cash is king. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to keep up with a, a lot of things. So that's why retail is difficult but at the same time you know having retailers like that is what is how Dangerfield began how it's grown to what it is now i mean so it, it it's kind of hard to completely discount them yeah you know especially uh, we're so early into like the the push towards the online strategy it's hard to guarantee the return of of going fully online so i think any cash flow that is guaranteed which in mm. most cases in the past has been the retailers is still very good to have and we've discussed like obviously different options potentially expanding into retail in the future ourselves um what would be like the what would be your i mean we've discussed this but what would be your ideal kind of retail <laughs> setup environment uh, all of my opinions are related to design and like the, the layout or the furniture and stuff but what would be like your ideal setup for a retail expansion well yeah we, we were talking about this right right before we yeah. came on i mean like i think i think simpler is better um but I think there's a handful of ways you can kind of differentiate your your, your retail uh, experience to other people's. But um, a lot of the ideas you were bringing forward, it's it, yeah, I mean it's the same kind of ideas as mine. I mean, um, the customization, the personalization of of things, I think is is big because, especially where we are, the you know there's the the retail industry is small. <laughs> to say yeah, it relies heavily on on traffic from tourists yeah. cruises are, are nearby but the good thing is that um there are only a few main streets so yeah. if people were looking to shop they don't really have much else to go if you're in the right area but at the same time it does look like all these companies uh with the with the COVID effects are not able to to continue business um <clears throat> but yeah the retail is uh, the retail to online thing is always uh is always a big debate um we still want to keep stores but once you have your own shop it's sort of like do you really want to still sell it at half at a, at a margin to um to the yeah i mean i i think in an ideal scenario we'd have we'd have all of them going for us we'd have online yeah. we'd have retail and we'd have um you but know, with only our, two our, people that can be difficult our flagship store uh, yeah. yeah exactly and it, you know it's just again it's another it's another thing into the whole logistics yeah like that just you know seems to compound all these complications but yeah i i think it can be done and you know I, there's there's tons of other brands that that well maybe not tons but i think there are some that are able to do all three well yeah mm-hmm. um but, yeah. but they do seem to gravitate at the end of the day there's always one area that is showing things that like retail is some people say retail is dead nowadays but i feel like for like local brands there's stand there still can be benefits oxford for example has done very well as a local one um but yeah it's all about like experimenting and seeing which direction we want to shift towards facebook ads uh instagram ads and 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 all that uh which like some products are going to sell much better in retail for example our higher end goods the 
the overcoats mm-hmm. and things that people can physically try on if they're spending that amount of money i feel like that would benefit a lot from retail mm-hmm. whereas like a leather good or a hoodie once you see the photo and you see somebody wearing it you're like oh that looks nice the materials look like it's it's good it's been listed then that will sell better online um and i think because we want to make it clear that we are still a premium clothing brand made in bc on our premium line of products that a retail space could make sense uh it's just a matter of yeah the time commitment and all the things that go into setting up another stream for that um talking more about like the business side of things uh you started out as a as a sole proprietor working out of a another another company uh dangerfield well dangerfield was operating out of another company uh i incorporated in 2018 what was uh so like when it, when it came to buying in we formed a a new company incorporated that what was like the most surprising part of the process uh, of incorporating a company for the first time aside from the cost I mean, I was going to say the cost. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a lot of paperwork, a couple thousand, uh, and it's just one meeting at the end. They do all the other stuff for you. Uh, but in Canada, at least, we had to submit, I think, three different names to uh, to get approved for the for the incorporation. And yeah, for, the, for the name, um, I don't know if we... I think we did have to submit our top three choices oh, to see if it yeah. was available. Yeah, you, you, yeah, I mean, they want, yeah. they just want options, I mean... I think you can look up what's available, but yeah. you need to have... And that's on the back end kind of thing. Yeah, you need to have something that kind of describes what you're producing or you know some some kind of... And that service. was either done usually through a lawyer or an accountant, but in this case, I think we, we went through an accountant, right? Uh, no, a lawyer did lawyer the, did the lawyer corporation. Did the corporation, yeah. Yeah, because my holdings we, was done through a law, accountant, but my other company was done through a lawyer, I think. Yeah, there was, there was still a lot of accounting fees because yeah. we basically had to do a stub year end, which means you, instead of doing a full you know accounting year end, you just do up until the point, the date of incorporation. And then you, you know, end that year for that company then, and then a new one starts and, you know, your financial year end from here on out, is going to be at, at that date. Yeah. Cause in this oh, space, you do have to document all the inventory and the the cash flow and everything on spreadsheets. Whereas that was something that I was not very good at, but good thing. Everything was all sorted. Accounting was able to figure that out. And then from there we go to the lawyer's office and sign sign some of the papers of the partnership. Mm-hmm. And then the step after that is to set up your bank accounts. Once you have your official business number and incorporation number and all that stuff, the bank was like pretty quick, couple hours. And then the credit card process gets applied. But I think, um, yeah, I wanted to talk more about like, uh, well, in another episode about incorporation and, and what that benefits with the company. In this case, it makes sense because mm-hmm. it was a partnership. Um, but for like, I know there's a lot of freelancers in creative field who are not yet incorporated. Um, and, I feel like they're missing out on a lot of benefits of that, but like just yeah. for anyone who's looking to 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 buy into a partnership, that was kind of the the process of it. You either purchase an existing one, um, or you could start a brand new one. And in this case, we started a brand new one, fifty fifty, and um, the share price was set at its minimum. And I think we both had to write like a ten dollar check. We had to like there was no like there was mm. just like you have to write a ten dollar check and and have a record of that to be purchasing half the shares. Um, so that was like the process of the of the. Uh, of that side um another good question well i'm just uh curious about what you guys' process is like from the idea being alchemized to the finish well at least like not the finished product but the jacket let's say your first jacket that you've gone from idea to product yeah. what's uh, that uh, amount of time like and what's involved with it time wise uh yeah i mean it depends on what type of piece you're making but like for the the thing we started with what i started with with like the varsity jackets i mean you take your idea to a 
pattern maker. Um, for those who don't know, a pattern is basically if you were to take a finished piece, cut it all up and light out flat, all those pieces make yeah. up a pattern. So a pattern maker specializes in, you know, how things fit and they know how to draw out all these pieces and cut them to perfection. And you, you know, you go to a pattern maker with your idea, they'll go to, and you take that idea to, you know, usually a seamstress who will just do a one-off. Um, and real quick, I just while you're going through it, I just want to kind of break it down a little bit more. How do you find a good pattern maker? Like what makes the right one for your brand? Um, like what percentage of stuff never ends up for sale? Because <laughs> I know we have a lot of like one-off samples, which look pretty good, but there's always like it's something like that kept us from... It's definitely a lot. Right. I mean, to put it into perspective, the overcoat, we've probably gone through eight to ten different iterations of how that's fit. And every time... Is every that on the iterate, pattern maker or is that on both your because, design? Both, because every time you go through a new iteration, you're, you're paying for a new pattern, you're paying for a new sample, and you're paying for fabric for all of that, you're paying for time, you know, it all adds up and then times that by however many times it takes to get it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the first question there? Uh, it was just about like what makes a good pattern oh, maker, right. like one to stick with. So if you're lucky, you can find a factory that has, you know, a pattern maker in-house. Um, more often than not, if they don't have that, they'll have a pattern maker that they recommend. Um, one of those two options is the best because if you, you know, get them from two separate parties or however many, you know, if let me put it this way, if you if you get a pattern and you were to send it to ten different factories, you would get ten different results. So having someone in house who can do that, or someone that they usually work with, they know all the intricacies of how each piece goes together. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely hard finding the right people, especially mm-hmm. in in BC. I mean, there's yeah. not that many options. And some are better at making one product than another. Yeah, so like, like a lot, of, a lot of them will specialize, and I, you know, yeah. I think that's why you see a lot of manufacturing in like New York and LA because there's just this insane, insanely dense population of you know all these really talented uh, factories. Yeah. Um, so, do you see value in going down to the states for some of your work, or do you want to keep everything in Canada um, until the Canadian dollar, right, <laughs> is. <laughs> Gotcha. It's, it's worth more than Monopoly money then, yeah. <laughs> so phase two, it was Pattern Maker, and then what was the next one? Um, After they got the design and everything, you're happy with the way it fits. Usually you want to take it to either a, a seamstress who, again, you know, might the factory might be able to do your your sample, your one-off, but usually it's a seamstress who you'll have to take to, and they'll do you know basically your final sample. So you kind of have to go through that process a few times till it's till it's done correctly and you, everything you like um, about the piece, and then that's when you take the finished the final pattern and the sample. That's when you take it to the factory, and they'll do they'll do a run of them. They'll have they'll what they'll do is they'll make a marker, which is basically like a final pattern, and that is uh, basically a computer generated program of the pattern that's printed out on the same width as the fa- what the fabric comes in and the computer generates the most economical way to put all the pieces of fabric within that you know um, yardage of fabric mm-hmm. yep. so once you have that done then you can start to order fabric 
and you know the rest of it's pretty much up to the factory how long does that normally take well if we get our orders from shops in february and we place those orders to the factory within the next few weeks of final orders we'll we'll get things back to us in sort of july august so yeah it's it's a fair it's a fair wait yeah, know, and but, sometimes you might order something, and uh, and there's always going to be some something wrong with it. Uh, maybe like something got lost in communication, or the color is yeah. different on half of them. I mean, usually that again, that's one of the benefits of of getting things made locally, yeah. because you know there isn't really much lost um, in communication there because, you know, you're at the factory, you're talking with the pattern maker in person, you're talking with the head of the factory in person, you know, being able to touch and feel and like, yeah, being right with someone who's going to make the product makes such a huge difference. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's not something you're going to get for pieces that require tailoring, you know, it's just not really going to get that by trying to work with someone on the other side of the world. Um, even though we have had good relations with working. Yeah. I mean, they're very efficient. Like these factories are, are overall pretty communicative and easy to work with. There's still a lot of variables. Like you've got the shipping variables, you have the material variables. Uh, in the case of the boxes, they ran out of that stuff in between, but they had something like similar, ready to go, um, with the jackets as well. Like sometimes, uh, you you could have a variable with the fabric or like the tags. Stuff is coming from so many places that you don't have full control over sometimes. uh, Yeah. There's so many things going into every single piece, but yeah, I mean, it's not to, uh, in no way am I saying that Canadian factories put out, well, in some way, it's not that they put necessarily put out a better product than anywhere else in the world. It's just that it's easier to get to that final product that is what you want. At the scale. Yeah, for for sure. And I mean, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely hard to find the right, the right people to work with, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure that's the same in every business and every industry. Mm-hmm. What were some details that would ensure less mistakes with suppliers? Well, I think uh, that's that's kind of one of the things you have to go with your gut. I mean, you know, you can kind of tell if someone's when you because I you know when I was trying to find a factory, it's uh, you know I was going through just about every single one I could find in BC. And uh, you can explain things one way to 10 of them and they all interpret it a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. Same with like a graphic designer. You tell them right. like what you want in the logo. And, but you know, you can, gotcha. you can look at the final product and you might have, you know, out of 10 diff- final products, you might have, you know, six that you like. And then, and then it comes down to, you know, choosing the one that, you know, you think actually understands what, where you're coming from and is, is going to work with you to, to give you what you want, which they should, considering how much you're paying them. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's a whole it's a whole list of things that that goes into into choosing the right factory. So let's say um, you're somebody starting out right now, starting from scratch. What would be like step one of like getting your vision together of what you want your brand to be? What you want your brand to be? Yeah, I mean, like, actually, to add some context, like, for example, when you when you had that epiphany, and you're like, I want to start a clothing brand. 
how did you start with a name? Did you start with the designs? Like, where did you start? I mean, every, everyone's process is going to be different, but yeah, I mean, I was just drawing out really terrible designs <laughs> and just, you know, hoodies and t-shirts, that kind of stuff. Like I was still in university, so I was just, I was yeah. just doing stuff like that, selling to friends. And it wasn't really until, um, I was doing the jackets that like I r- realized that it could be something I would, I would I could possibly do as a living. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, uh, outlooks the shop on, uh, in downtown Victoria. They, they were the first ones to place an order and they, they've been one of the best, uh, clients since. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you kind of, you get an order, like I just took a one jacket and a show, show Dale, the owner of that shop. Um, you know, he kind of, gave me a bit of insight into how and um how you can run a business so yeah i mean that's that's kind of the first first few steps that i took anyways but i think everybody's is going to be be different yeah i think a lot of times uh clothing creators uh it's you you have like clothing you have appreciation for it but you feel like there's something missing there's a way yeah. that you like something from this jacket, you like something from another, and when you put together like the custom spec as is something that you believe is perfect but needs to be at an accessible price, that's and, when you start to come up with that, ideas. That's that's kind of the answer to the question too, which is like how how do you go about starting? Is is you you can go to those those pattern makers and the sample makers and you take something that you like, whether it's a jacket or whatever, and you say, you know, I you know, I really like uh, this this and this but i want you know this length change i yeah. want the sleeve to fit like this and i want the collar to be you know that like this instead of this and um that yeah that's how i started by just taking in uh taking in a jacket and, and altering all these things and using the fabrics that i wanted to use and using the lining and all this stuff so yeah that's how i went about it i'm sure there are other ways but yeah, that was kind of the same with the hoodies, actually. Mm-hmm. Usually, like, little cuff changes, the the hood stitching, and the, and I noticed, like, most of these hoodies are printed, so embroidery. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, with jackets as well. It's, like, there's a lot of little variables, the way it fits, the zippers that you like on one of them. The There's so many fabrics to pick from. I think you showed me, and we and I might have shut down, like, 95% of them because we just ordered, like, all these swatches to take a look at. And it's it's like such a small swatch. A lot of times, it's hard to tell if it will look good in a big one. And um, when it comes, you're like, "Oh crap! Like that looks terrible." But as a swatch, it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I wanted to to kind of touch on for the the on the business partnership side, uh, you can be totally honest and brutal about this. Uh, what's the worst part of uh, having to work with me? I've been thinking about this because I. It's your chance. Uh, well, I get a lot of questions about what you know what it's like to work with someone else. Um, not not <laughs> specifically just you, but like you know having run a company for about eight years, and then you know um, having a partner. Um, I think the best way I can describe it is um, you know that scene in the Social Network where Mark Zuckerberg is. Um, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, sitting with his girlfriend at the bar, and he's being a complete idiot, but he has no idea. Oh my god! Have you seen the scene, Justin? Yeah, I think it's it's a while ago. I haven't watched it in many years, but like, I, I sort of remember what the movie was. Like he is the way he is. Like he just he he's so um, intellectual and so 
you know, business savvy in some areas, but is kind of socially awkward. Not necessarily socially awkward, but because, you know, he's so, so adapted, like some certain aspects, I think you, there's an oversight in others. Yeah. And I think, um, but like, you know, the, I think that that kind of personality is, is required in a good business. Like you're, you're adept at some things that I'm not. And, you know, I'm good at some things that you're not. So I, th- I think to answer the question, um, what was the question? What's it like to work with Justin? What's the worst part of working with me? The like, worst part? Like when we got over to fight over the boxes and also the, like the quality of the changes um, on some of the products. But after a couple of days, you kind of cooled off on we, it. And I don't think we really <laughs> fought over anything. Um, I mean, this, there was definitely some disagreement about like, you know, because the, the vision, uh, well, I think we've always agreed on, which I think is the main the main thing. We, you know... Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't think we really fought over boxes or changing a lot of the products. Um, I don't know. Here's the thing. What, just to represent, and it's funny you even say it this way, but to represent the angels advocate here. Yeah. What if someone's going into a partnership right now, let's say they've been considering with someone for a while, they've got a brand, like what are some things that they can best position themselves to get the most out of the partnership? It's a big question. Um, Just give me one example, like one from you and one from you. I think if you're looking what um, you can get out of the partnership, you might be looking at it wrong. It's not to get out. It's the way to best position yourself. It's not what you're getting out of it, but the way that you provide the most value for the person you're going into. Like how can you, how can you show what your value is? Exactly. Well, I think it's just the initial discussions. It's it's just your track record. I think, you know, you, you know, your actions are a lot louder than what's, you know, just on you say that you've done. Like your resume of work for anybody is is going to be much more valuable than, you know, whatever certificate you have in, you know, you know maybe you, you went to the school of graphic design. Well, yeah, that's great, but like what have you designed? Yeah. That's the, that's the type of thing. So mm-hmm. I think any some advice to any creator is just to create, just to have you know, a massive portfolio of work that you want to put forward. Whether like that can be in any space too, right? I mean, clothing design is kind of the hardest one because to create is extremely expensive. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it's hard. To, in the beginning, a lot of it, you're just making it for yourself. Yeah. Or- so, I mean, I think for me it worked because a lot of the things I wanted to make, I would have just been doing anyways. And I think that's kind of the same in any creative space. Like you started YouTube just because that's what you were interested in. You would have been doing that kind of thing. I also just wanted free stuff. Yeah, that's same with Alex, uh, Brandon wanting free clothes. To be honest, it's kind of same with me too. Like I, I just, there was a lot of things I wanted, but I was like, I didn't have enough money to go out and buy whatever that piece of clothing was, I was just going to go and make it. But once you make it, you start to go down the rabbit hole. Your friends are like, oh, that's cool. I would buy that. And then it becomes a brand. You know, I think that's that's true with just about any creative venture. I mean, anybody who's in that is in it for a reason. If you're in it, you know, if you're just going to go and make clothing because you want to make money, well, that's that's just the dumbest thing ever. I just use my economics degree and go work in finance. Like, <laughs> it, it, you know, if I was just in it just to make money, 
you're in the wrong industry. <laughs> yeah. I think my, my answer to that question would be, um, especially I would say we, we both have like strong opinions and, um, going into Alex's brand, that's, that's his brand. Like it, he, it's his own for the past uh, year. So a lot of times it, it does take a little, some convincing. Um, I think going in as a partner who is, uh, who is new to it. I think the most important thing in the partnership is if you have an opinion, you got to be able to back it up and explain it logically from either a business standpoint or from past experience to give them something to think about. Like, I feel yeah. like, like, yeah, yeah. you got to explain it. You can't just like, if you want to change something, you can't really just go in and say, I want to change it. You, you've got to have, that, explain. That's, that's one of the reasons where I think I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast is that, you know, Justin might have a strong opinion, but it's always going to be backed up by reason. And, you know, when I, th- you know, sit back and think about a lot of those reasons, you know, it's usually, usually right. I'm still and, stubborn though. Yeah. I mean, stubborn, stubborn is fine is if you can back it up with <laughs> yeah. valid reasoning. And I, you know, uh, you know, for, for all of you still in high school, you know, pay attention in English class because that, that's probably the best thing you can do right now is to, you know, hone your debate skills. So that's, that's the answer to your question about how to, how to really prepare for a, a true, uh, a strong partnership. Because if you, I think, I think a lot of people have, have, um, you know, this, this notion that debating and arguing is a bad thing. But I think if you're able to debate and clearly and concisely explain and reason why, you want something or why something should be a certain way it's not an argument it's 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 just putting facts forward and putting reasoning forward and i think that's that's kind of the, one of the keys to you know the a healthy relationship yeah you got to put aside your emotions in business and be able to talk business yeah i mean yeah. Some, even if it's a little bit blunt sometimes mm-hmm. just um get it out there but yeah i think uh you also shouldn't be buying into a company if you're planning to change everything like if you want to change, if you can see the potential in it, but you can't, obviously if, if it's depending on the scenario or the standing of the brand, it's expansion or you're saving it, um, that kind of thing. It's a lot of times a, a good partnership uh, at a phase of a company where it wants to expand to another area. You have to be happy with where the fundamentals are at. Mm. Otherwise you may as well just start your own thing if you have, if you want to change everything about it. Um, but yeah, in terms of like business decisions and design des- decisions, um, it's always like looking at the data, what's sold better than others, uh, wh- where the volumes are at. And, uh, and, and opinionated, you, you got to just back up the argument effectively on like comparatively and the costs. And yeah, there's a lot of different ways to, to practice that. And I think being business people and uh, Alex attending university, we've been able to have those logical discussions mm-hmm. to reach a conclusion. And um, there hasn't really been anything that we've, that either of us have done or decisions that, that we've made where we still are kind of like, well, that was a little bit dumb. Aside from the first round of photos that we sent off for <laughs> editing and uh, they weren't exactly the best ones that were taken in the way that the clothing was done and right. in a bit of a, it costed us quite a bit of money, but ever since we've been more uh, on the same page on both the creative side and, and the business side. Mm. Yeah. I mean, com- compromises is, is key. Mm. <laughs> It's tough though. Range. Like, if it, somebody stepped into the YouTube company, I, I would probably be just as like, I don't really want to change stuff, even if there are things that got to be, mm. got to be switched up. But I think anytime in business, you, you do have to be a bit adaptive and let the numbers do the speaking. But at the same time, sometimes ideas take a lot of time to catch on. Uh, you have to try what you believe in for a couple of years and and not give up on it too early. So yeah, it's just all about a balance and trying to come up with a logic to to apply. 
What is there, uh, just to wrap this thing yeah. up, what's something to look forward to out of Dangerfield over the next um, year here? Well, I think uh, Alex can speak a lot about the, the premium side, but on the essential side, I think continuing to create different lineups of of hoodies uh, that are high quality, comfortable, and ones that I've been wearing a lot, and um, and hopefully also distributing them out a little bit more, and maybe yeah. even a retail shop. We do have to kind of, on the back end, figure out if that's a feasible decision right now, but that has always been kind of a dream, even though it's very expensive to run, and with like online, you can optimize it in certain ways. I feel like having a tangible good store is, is kind of the point where the company's at its stage where it could kind of prove that it's, that it's lasted and it's made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Opening up a retail shop is, is definitely requires a handful of things. Time, um, money, uh, time, consistency, money and, and, industry you know, effects, like a whole bunch of variables. Yeah, Gloves and masks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sanitizing everything. It would definitely be a different, really different landscape opening up a, a shop when it, when all this is over. Um, yeah. I mean, to, there's definitely gonna be a lot of, a lot of basics and things like that, that we, we want to help push the brand forward in the right direction um, in terms of like sort of the higher ticket items, the, the stuff that requires a whole lot of design. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. We definitely want to be putting new stuff out there. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be weird seeing what the timeline is with a lot of things reopening and what's happening with the economy. What's going to stay, what's going to go, the travel industry. Yeah. I mean, and so spending habits are going to be a whole lot different than they were, you know, six months ago. That's another transition Uh, we've had to adjust to the spent, the way we spend money that is within (laughs) the company and uh, no, (laughs) throwing uh, it, throwing the money around a little bit. You've, uh, you've maintained a pretty uh, strong habit of just burning money. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, you know, um, you got to spend, spend money to make money. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the goal is to always be, be putting new stuff out and, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that we can push in, in higher, higher quantities that stuff that we've been working on for the last eight months, like a lot of the leather goods and the, yeah. the hoodies and things like that, you know, that's, that, that kind of stuff is going to help us help us you know pay for stuff that you know makes the brand and is is sort of the lower volume higher cost yeah and you know i think we we both know going going into that kind of production that it's it's not a a um money maker and it's not a massive um the scalability yeah it's like the long-term future because if yeah as a local brand if you're trying to make premium products it, it is relatively hard to to make money so we are still trying to to navigate that and figure out where the scalability paths are uh, obviously influencer marketing is also a bigger area we want to focus on we've mm-hmm. sent some stuff out to uh the canucks uh the raptors and um yeah i think influencer marketing and using expertise from that area is also going to be uh some investment and uh and also facebook instagram ads to push the online sales higher conversion rates but shopify has definitely been interesting i mean i started a business on shop shopify in grade eight it didn't go so well but it's a uh, it's it's a cool platform and there's there's infinite i mean kylie jenner's store runs on shopify so all the data they give you has all been very helpful and yeah so i think pushing online pushing the essentials line keeping consistent with the with the premium products and our kind of bespoke area of jackets and and the overcoats as well as hopefully retail expansion and maintaining our relation with um with the retailers around the country as well is just a way to 
that's sort of the summarized way of saying what the what the future of the brand is. But we're definitely working on some designs and uh, and kind of pushing towards the next chapter of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that summarizes most of it. Looking forward to it, boys. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So uh, I'm terrible at wrapping things up as usual, but uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this one, and we'll talk to you in the next one. Peace.